Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Financial Confessions. It's me, your host, Chelsea Fagan, founder and CEO of The Financial Diet and woman who loves talking about money. And one topic that we've covered quite a bit on the channel, um, both on my show as well as, for example, on our podcast, Too Good to Be True, on their recent episode of Essential Oils and Wellness Culture is, well, wellness culture. It's something that has been on people's minds more and more, I think, as we start to see the ways in which a culture that is nominally about living in a better, healthier, more fulfilling way can often leave us with the exact opposite. Dubious pseudoscience and snake oil sales aside, there's also a whole part of wellness culture that is, especially as it pertains to women, about, above all else, restriction. Many of us saw, for example, the recent interview with Gwyneth Paltrow that went viral, because of the hyper-restrictive diet that she was describing and the ways that she described needing to detox from a life that was already, in her own words, almost completely devoid of anything that could possibly need detoxing from. Now, obviously, there are many more qualified people than me who can speak to some of what might be happening behind some of these ideas and why they're so dangerous for us to consume. But on the other hand, we do often live in a context that is focused on consumerism, about overextending ourselves, about consuming things that are toxic for us, both literally and figuratively, and generally making us live in a way that's unwell. And similarly, a lot of people are realizing how much it is essential to say no to a lot of the things that, for example, late capitalism has instilled in us, this constant need to be reachable, to be working, to be producing, to be measuring our value in extremely financial metrics, and often not even financial metrics that necessarily benefit us. We're also often not living lives lives that are incredibly healthy in terms of our physical health, in terms of what we're eating, in terms of the food that's available to us, in terms of the products that we're buying and the intentionality with which we're buying them. At the end of the day, while wellness culture may often offer us fairly toxic, no pun intended, solutions, there clearly is a need to do American life better in a lot of ways. And my guest today is someone who covers all of these topics from an incredibly interesting and unique perspective. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this immense stack of books, and that's not even all of them. She is a best-selling author, both of cookbooks and books that speak about wellness more generally. She's a writer. She's based here in New York as well, and she has so many incredibly interesting things to say on this topic. Welcome my guest, Candice Kumai. And thanks to ZocDoc for supporting TFC. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who take your insurance and are available when you need them. Go to ZocDoc.com TFC and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Wow, Chelsea. Hello. Lady, it looked like you were reading a teleprompter, but you were not. I, I was not. so impressed. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm so impressed. I've never seen somebody do that kind of an intro. But thank you for having me. And that was like... <laughs> So incredibly thorough and spot on. Oh, thank you. And I'm excited about today. I'm excited to have your fun fact. <laughs> Teleprompters actually make me freeze up, so I don't use them. <laughs> but I, I always know what I want to say. But so to the intro's point, so wellness is a space that has exploded in popularity, yes. but has also been co-opted to mean just about any damn thing and often things that are not super healthy in different ways. Can we start by just setting the tone of, first of all, what you do in this space, but kind of more importantly, what wellness practically means for you? 
Yes. So about 20 years ago, I started cooking on the line at restaurants. And then I went to culinary school after I got my undergrad in interpersonal and organizational communications at Long Beach State. I went to a Le Cordon Bleu school. I studied culinary arts for just about two years before I started cooking on the line at a Ritz-Carlton and also at Roy's, which is Japanese Hawaiian fusion. Um, I did banquets at the Ritz-Carlton, which was large covers at the one in Laguna Niguel. And I, I virtually just did it after school because I was on the first season of Top Chef. I was 22 on the show. I'm 41 now. You guys can do the math. And it's been two decades of just food, writing, wellness. After Top Chef, I became a host at Home Shopping Network at 25. And then I was on a show called Cook Yourself Thin. Terrible title. Wasn't my idea. I know. A lot has changed. Didn't age well. Wasn't my choice. It was a Tiger Aspect IMG show. It was adapted from a show that was doing really well in the UK. As usual, Americans like to steal their (laughs) And they had three girls on the show. And it became a New York Times number one bestselling book virtually overnight on Lifetime TV. This is, again, about 15 years ago. From the success of that book, I remembered my EP on the show, this woman, Lauren Dean, who used to work with Martha Stewart said, Candace, of all the girls, you know how to write recipes really well. And I was sort of baffled by that because at this time I was like 27 or so. And I said, oh, wow, maybe I really can write my own cookbooks. So Rodale signed me around 28. My first solo book, Pretty Delicious, came out followed by Cook Yourself Sexy, which is another title we can talk about. I've worked under the men's health and women's health umbrella for many years as a columnist, and then I veered over to Shape and Men's Journal as a food editor at large. Um, I've judged on Beat Bobby Flay and Iron Chef for many years, uh, which I did not take lightly. I understood that the role that I was receiving was um, a great honor, I suppose, and being so young and almost like vulnerable from the top chef days into where I am now, um, celebrating my 41st birthday this year, moving back to New York this year after taking a little break and being, I think I'm on my eighth book now. I feel a deep responsibility to start, start changing the way that we look and feel about food. And like you said, about the culture that we have sort of just let out to the wild, wild west guns blazing. And that is a, that's a really gentle way of putting it, too. There's a lot of us experts. I report on the Today Show and GMA and uh, write for Cosmo or Vogue, etc. There's a responsibility that we have as a journalist and a writer to put quality information, the truth, and the right and correct information out there. And I don't think it's being done anymore. I think people just do whatever the f*** they want, and they think it's good. And as long as it gets clicks and likes and all kinds of, you know, endorphin boosting feelings. Mm -hmm. People continue to do it, whether it's toxic, true, or completely false. And I think we are also part of the problem where we need to tell our young girls like, hey, you have a responsibility as a writer, a journalist, or if you want to be a TV personality, a podcaster, or an author yourself one day, it's important for you to do this with integrity and grace Because number one, things don't age well anymore. And number two, people will come after you if you exhibit poor behavior or bad things. And I think number three, um, you asked me about why it's important and what I do now. I think it's important to go back to 
writing cookbooks. I did the philosophical shit, like I told you for the last few years. And I, I realized very quickly that people don't really care about that. You can talk about the spirit all you want, but unless people get it, like in the second half of their life, they won't get it. So the most important thing I think is to just be that person that takes the high road, does the harder work, does the right thing, even if it's not popular. And somehow in these 20 years, it's worked out to my advantage, but boy, it did not come easy. I will say that it came at a, a very, I will say this, um, an interesting price. Well, I mean, so for context, for those listening, um, I always ask guests what, you know, what title they like to be introduced by. And we were, she was like, you can say best-selling <laughs> author, but for the record, if we, I was actually giving her CV and what she's done in her life in the intro, that intro would have been 45 minutes long because you have been around the block. Like yes. you have done a lot of really amazing things. And I'm so fascinated about the cook yourself thin sexy thing. And I'd like to start there because I yes. think in a lot of ways that encapsulates some of what we talk about on our channel when we talk about wellness, which is that, you know, you have a career that has spanned a time when it was okay in ter yes. to talk in terms of the goal of this is to be thin. Yes. And we've sort of reached a time now where it's no longer quite as acceptable to speak in those terms. And we look back at like a show like, you know, what not to wear, um, or, you know, and especially in the UK, or we look at, you know, something called like cook yourself thin. And we say like, oh, you know, that's that age terribly. That's so cringe, et cetera. Yeah. But the truth is, especially as it pertains to a lot of the mainstream wellness culture, or, you know, for example, using that Gwyneth Paltrow interview as an example, clearly we're still we're still talking about a way of living which maximizes and prioritizes thinness you know we've we've had you know viral you know what i eat in a day by gurus yes. go viral where someone does the math and they're eating 600 calories in a day um so we've entered a time where we no longer speak in those terms but that is still clearly an undercurrent of not only what you know the goal of so many of these sort of wellness regimes are but also what makes the people successful is having that very narrow idea of aspiration. So how mm. in your work and in your life, frankly, as someone who has been through all of that, how are you decoupling and how do you recommend decoupling the concept of wellness from the concept of thinness? This is a great topic, Chelsea, because it, it is true. 20 years ago, it was very accepted to talk skinny girl, thinness, and these brands did not date very well. And I did find them very interesting it was even just, I would say, about six, seven years ago where my friends Catherine Budig and Kate Fagan told me that they thought that the title of Cook Yourself Thin, and I was like, ladies, I did not choose this f***ing title. <laughs> it's called The Machine, and The Machine puts many of us in a box, and they tell us what to do, and they slap a f***ing label on us, and they say, you're going to be the Asian girl on the show. And while it was flattering say 15 years ago to get that role and to be the minority female in many spaces of food at the time i realized early on and this could come from my immigrant parents mother is japanese father is polish both are slave drivers for hard work and being a good person mm. and working with kindness and integrity first having morals and values that are really important at the the highest level or as my mom says you know i have a golden standard and you're going to meet my golden ways so Things were very interesting growing up. 
in the back of my mind, I knew if I was going to be this one minority figure for women in the space of, say, the, the series of Cook Yourself Thin, I thought, well, an accurate representation is to cook the foods that I know from Japan and also to not really embrace this title as, as me in a box. So immediately after the series, which was very accepted at the time, but it, it also, Chelsea, did extremely well. Mm. It was a program that touted that women should eat X amount of calories a day to lose X amount of weight, which we know at the time, 15 years ago, was very popular. And for me, it felt very restrictive, unrealistic, and I've never fallen into the keto or the paleo or just like the limitation diets because the moment you go to a birthday party, a weekend bender, a night out, you're going to break all of these restrictions. And what's the point of eating keto? What's the point of eating in a keto style if you don't even know what it is? I think after cooking on the line for so many years and we cooked beautiful food, whether it was you know, for somebody's wedding and at the Ritz or for someone's anniversary at Roy's, I realized that food was special. It was culturally what brought everyone together. It is something that we have in common. And I very quickly realized that I needed to move away from the space of thin, beautiful, that thin is powerful, that thin is better. And I needed to move into the strengthening of women and being a better representation. And you'll see it with with certain figures that are in the food space that are female. But I think I always said in the back of my head, and and this could be the, you know, the tough girl in me coming out a little bit because I was a scrapper. I was teased very badly as a child for being Asian um, in a predominantly white school. It's okay, you know, it kind of makes you who you are. Um, But I had to learn how to embrace the things that I got made fun of for as a child. And I use them to my advantage later to sort of strengthen not only my culinary skills, but um, to exercise like self-esteem and confidence. And I realized that every woman had a different battle they were fighting and, and every woman had a different body type and every woman had different things that they wanted to cook and eat. And we should never restrict women from eating and being a part of these other machines, whether it was Top Chef, Iron Chef, Cook Yourself Thin, Um, And later in life, you know, shape or men's health and women's health. I tried my best to get people to learn how to cook as their greatest resource to being healthy and happy and to taking back control of their life. So there's all kinds of food in these books, whether it's pizza or burgers or fries. They're just done in the kitchen at home and maybe better. Um, And you can still have the roast. I love it and I think it's fascinating that so many women at TFD love cooking and and brava because (laughs) um, it saves you money and it's the best way to take control of your health. It releases stress um, and it also releases endorphins so you can kind of kill many birds with one stone when you learn how to cook better. So my job shifted very quickly, not because anybody advised me to that people wanted to use me all they could for the way that I looked but I knew my brain because of my Japanese mom would get me far further in life than my looks Mm -hmm. and I think the sooner women can realize that education is paramount to all success in life and the smarter you can become early on like much following your advice is the same kind of thing 
when you take that advice and you use it early, like say it's the savings account early on versus spending like crazy or showing off photos of you that are unrealistic in life or photoshopping, I think it's better to be honest, authentic, to do the work, to have the resume, because you can always fall back on your resume when times get grim, and boy, they will get grim. Uh, And I also think it's important to not rely on looks so much, because as we age and we get older, one of the first things that goes will be your looks. And as we know in our society, people will eat you alive if you go out the gate pretending to be something that you're not and to continuously poke and evoke emotion with women and eating because our relationship to food is personal. And I really think um, it took myself moving into another chapter and saying, I'm just going to teach people what's wellness, what's cooking and what's good for you. And, and we need to sort of say goodbye to the days of slim fast and weight watchers and, calorie counting because frankly they are just not realistic yeah and I mean even if I think for certain people there can be like Mm -hmm. I there can be something that's helpful to certain people about math and about saying like you know I I, this is a healthy parameter for me but those people are probably fairly few and far between and whatever is the way of helping people live better like for me like it's a it's an arbitrary standard. I know it's arbitrary. This it's it has been debunked. But ten thousand steps a day is a helpful number for me. I like Great. to hit it every day. Agree. Um, not everyone feels the same way. For for me, it like really helps me sleep. It helps me feel better, and you know my day to day life, whatever. And also, I just like walking as an activity. Um, but another person might find that number like that it only makes them have a harder time because they get into easy spirals of I didn't do it. I'm you know I'm messed up. I might yeah. as well you know not not even try tomorrow. What have you? But you know, in terms of, I mean, it's a complicated issue, right? Because on the one hand, like I said in the intro, wellness often just translates to restriction for women and is often framed as a a very specific type of life that is framed around a very specific notion of aspiration that is usually very thin, wealthy, white, you know, all of these things. Um, And it's just about how much control you can exert over yourself at any given time and how disciplined you can be. But as I said in the intro, on the other hand, we live in a culture that is not only driving us to consume at every given turn, but to consume increasingly low quality things, which is not even, it is about food to some extent, but it's also about like, look at the rise of fast fashion. Look at, you know, how low quality so many of the things that we bring into our home um, or that we're feeding ourselves, like we're, we're in a culture that almost by default makes us sick, that keeps us sedentary, that doesn't provide good food options, that doesn't have adequate health care. So oftentimes it feels like what is most absent and a pathway that is most um, non-existent for women is one of true moderation, is one of, you know, you indulge, you enjoy yourself, you do the things that you love, you feel generally good and you're not constantly on a on a journey to improve yourself in some abstract way, but you're also not doing what, again, the culture wants us to do, which is constantly, for example, mindlessly spending money, mindlessly accumulating things. Um, I would just be interested to know, first of all, what moderation specifically means to you and how do you, as someone who is in the wellness space, avoid falling into a cycle of needing to be, quite frankly, perfect at all times? Hmm. Amazing question. It wasn't even until um, 
a few years ago where I realized even though I had that Japanese mom that had the golden standards, I did not need to meet her standards because frankly, it was my life and not my mother's. And I often did things because it was respectful to the culture, which I never felt good enough for in the first place because I was never Japanese enough or I was never white enough. And a lot of mixed kids fall into this lull of not feeling enough. And I think when people like Trevor Noah or Naomi Osaka, et cetera, we've come out recently to talk about what it's like to be a mixed kid and how psychologically it can almost always feel like you're never enough. Right. <laughs> when really you're just 100% whole. I believe there's a HBO series that came out recently that was like 100% me. And it was adorable seeing these little children being interviewed over, you know, being half black, half a Latino or half Asian and half white and how we're 100% me and we're nothing else. You know, I grew up with a Polish last name and a Japanese middle name and I just said, this is me, mom. You know, like you may not like the things that I do, but I'm going to continue to write and it should be important for people to know too that she said, you cannot make a living off of cooking, okay? When I went to culinary school, I paid for it 100% on my own by hustling and working small jobs on the side. Um, when my parents did not believe in me. Very common story for immigrant kids. And now, eight books later, I'm, I say eight because I'm, I'm writing the eighth, which I know you, you understand. <laughs> yes, wow, well, I, I do. You get it. I, I feel like empowered finally. I'm older and wiser with moderation. I do think that we have taught women to um, look a certain way, act a certain way. I saw one of your videos on um, the culture of, of trying to look into old money, like it was yes, like a yes. cool thing. And I, I appreciate what TFD does because you always give me a different perspective on topics that I find to be very relevant and timely. Thank you. Important for young women to also see somebody who's lived it and braiding it. And New York City, when you live here, it's like getting a second MBA. It's, it's a city where you learn through experience. And so I would much rather take advice from a woman who lives here and does it than somebody who virtually came out of college and worked with their thumbs and called themselves an expert with a title. I think mm. titles are earned. I do not think that they should be self-proclaimed. Yes. <laughs> I always felt really ugly growing up because I did not look like the Barbie doll or my blonde haired blue eyed friends who I love. And I never saw myself the way that, um, you know, maybe call it ugly duck syndrome. You know, you grow up and, and you, and you realize like, I'm going to work with what I've got. I'm going to play with the cards that I've got and I'm going to make, make it work. And I think when I spoke about my ethnicity and my background and my mom being overtly tiger mom with me for my whole life telling me I could not do things and virtually making me feel like I wasn't good enough and me having to say I'll f show you and I did I was like do you think I've made it now <laughs> you know like people think of Asian people as being really calm and cool but if you look at Ronnie Chang he does a great depiction of the anger side of the Asian community and we're we feel overlooked and underseen and like underpaid. And, and I think all these things can be true and false at the same time. Mm -hmm. Everyone's career path will be different. Um, but moderation to me is really, 
it's not something I do often. I I love walking as well, which is why I moved back to New York because LA you were trapped in a car all day and in yes, traffic. Yes, yes. Not interested. One of my main issues with the city continue. <laughs> and I love walking to my workout class. I work out at the bar method because it makes me feel good, mm. not because it makes me look good. But you said moderation is something you don't do very often. No. Tell me more about Indulgent that. Indulgent over here. Okay, so while I agree with you, I'm not into fast fashion. I'm not a sheen person. I'm, I never really have been. I think when we were young and maybe we didn't have a lot of cash on hand, like, of course, like, everyone fell into that trap of Forever 21. I'm an older millennial, so I've got, like, those years of Forever 21 under my belt from, like, high school. Very dangerous. Yes. And as we get older, because I was a fit model for so long, which means I was a live mannequin for multiple brands like Calvin oh, wow. Klein and Roxy and um, the whole gamut of like swimwear. Um, that was another culture that really restricted me from doing whatever I wanted and being right. who I wanted to be. So the reason why I don't like moderation is because I feel like I was already put in a box my whole career. She's the healthy girl. She's the Asian girl. She's the fit girl. She'll write healthy food. She'll write Japanese recipes. I don't, you know, I don't, I want to just scratch and scribble out all those things and say, like, I'm just me and I'm, I'm going to do me for the rest of my life. And whether you like me or not, because I am very polarizing and I understand that, I guess I don't care. <laughs> it's hard to say those words. What, what do you mean by moderation out of curiosity? Because when I think of moderation, I think of like living a life that, that has not equal, but at least, you know, generous space for both, um, you know, a high level of agency and discipline, but also space for indulgence. And so I mean, moderation is in like moderation in food, moderation in, you know, party, moderation in work, moderation in everything. In this instance, then, I would say I am a highly disciplinary person when it comes to work. You will see me mostly at my desk every f-ing day of the week. My boyfriend literally usually, every day. Yeah, and my boyfriend has to pull me away and say, "You're not working today. It's Sunday," and I'll say, "Well, I have to finish a book proposal because it's due tomorrow." And something inside of me will have me sit down and do it. I mean, it, I can be hungover from a party, sitting at my desk in the hotel room the next morning, and, and you will be working. Working. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so we do we do a four day work week here at that. TFD, yes. and I have to say, I just have to. I always recommend this to people who work the way you describe. Force yourself to try it for sixty days, like because you would be shocked. Oof. There are some really good studies out there on our side. Productivity increased, revenue increased, like profit margins really? increased, everything. And so many companies that have tried it have had the same. In fact, Japan, uh, Microsoft Japan was one of the really big uh, initial studies on it um, that we referenced when we started doing it. I don't know if I can do it, Chelsea. Uh, you not only can you, but you sound like one of the people who most could benefit from trying it because it really is like we we really don't realize. And for me, wellness is very much about um, enjoying your life Absolutely. above all else. And you would be surprised Absolutely. how how effective you are with less time than you think you need. I want to take a quick pause and thank today's sponsor, ZocDoc. If there's one thing you should actually take the time to do, it's find yourself a good doctor, whether it's for your mental health, your yearly checkup, or a new dentist because you're still going to the same one from your childhood and realize you don't actually like them. 
Finding the right doctor should not be an overwhelming task. It should actually be the opposite. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Instead of going to TikTok for medical advice, no shade because you know I love TikTok, it's just not where I nor you should be seeking out medical advice, I use ZocDoc, literally, I personally do use it, to find the right medical professionals, and you should too. Like I said, I actually use ZocDoc, and honestly, it has been really, really helpful to just keep that entire part of my life totally organized, as it's something that can easily feel overwhelming and become an item on your to-do list that just kind of lingers there forever and gives you anxiety. ZocDoc is honestly the GOAT. And if for whatever reason you're not feeling your best, finding the right care shouldn't take up all your time and energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in to help. Using their free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your busy schedule. Here in New York City, some doctors are booked up for weeks, if not months in advance, and that's not particularly helpful when you have something that needs timely attention. With ZocDoc, you can book an appointment with a few taps in their app and choose from thousands of patient-reviewed doctors and specialists, browse doctor profiles, upload and verify your insurance information, and get the care you need in one place. Go to ZocDoc.com TFC and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash TFC. ZocDoc.com slash TFC. You do bring up a good point where my mental health and stability with work and finance is often, I put them in the same bucket. Yeah. Um, and I here's the mentality I have. I started um, in the industry at 22, roughly. Um, this is 20 years ago when nobody was in wellness and nobody was in food. And people were still watching like Emeril Lagasse. And chefs were not celebrities or cool at the time at all. But now they seem to be like the next thing or the next best thing you know all the time and I, I find it funny because I went to culinary school when it was still very ugly and dry and male driven and let's just say it still kind of is but I had the fight or flight mode inside of me all the time I never feel like I must have scarcity mindset mm -hmm. I never feel like I have enough work or cash on hand I always feel like I have to provide for my team like a mother hen. I know you can understand that. Mm -hmm. I feel a deep responsibility to be financially well, which which I wasn't. And I spoke about in my last book, Spirited, deeply about a whole chapter on how messy the finances were. It's an Audible original, so it's oh. like here. Oh, it's <laughs> in the ether. It's in the room with us now. So weird not having the thing. Oh. Like when you handed me your book, it just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feels so I'm, We're working on the audiobook part of it right now, actually. Um, I'm not doing the audiobook, thank God. But um, it is it is such a... I've done audiobooks yes. myself yes. for the past two books. Yes. And doing it based off a book is one thing. But to your point, the idea of just having an audiobook, it feels like <gasps> very like... it's Like you said, it's strange to not have the tangible thing in it your was, hand. Chelsea, it was such a trip. And I, mm -hmm. I feel incomplete with it. I feel like mm. I wanted to bring you a galley, you know, yeah, like a yeah. printed one from Kinko's. If Kinko's is even a thing, I think it's called FedEx now, but. <laughs> no, totally. Well, do you mind if I ask, do you, I, I, in my research, I didn't see, do you have children? No, I don't because the mindset is I still am not there yet. Okay. And I may want that. But financially, I want to be prepared. Yes. And again, to the, the seven-day work week thing, a lot of it comes from having these parents that were boomers who saved, saved, saved every penny. They, my sister says that they almost worshipped coupon clipping and savings. 
Yeah. That's how bad it was. Or good, I suppose. They're very private. I would see it as a good thing. Like they think that the younger generations overshare and they no longer have privacy. But um, my sister and I were, were savers and also scared. So it's a great question to bring up because I think a lot of women around my age, whether you're like 37 to 43, you're still teetering on the idea of, can I do it? Can I afford children? Would I be a good mother? Uh, my mom was like the best thing ever. And I just don't know if I could be as good as her. Well, to me, that ex- everything you just described there is to me one of the ways in which I personally conceive of wellness, which is to not burden yourself by taking on things that you don't feel totally prepared for. And that yes. can be in any in any space. And, and, and having that dialogue with yourself of perhaps this is something that I want. Like for me, I know I absolutely don't want children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not for me for a lot of reasons. And oftentimes, you know, friends of mine who are unsure because I'll, I have a lot of friends who have them or who definitely want them. But friends who are unsure will say that they're envious of people's certainty either way. But in Absolutely. some ways, but in some ways, I yes. think if you are creating space for yourself to not only decide whether or not that's something you want, but to be firm in your own boundaries of, I want to be ready in these ways. And if I'm not, that's okay, but I need to meet these criteria. In some ways, I feel that we, again, in American culture, as as the one I'm most familiar with, we're often pushed into making decisions on these major life issues like this without ever giving ourselves the space of thinking about what are our terms for them, what will make it the right decision for us. Like, I mean, look at education, for example. So many people sign away, you know, sign themselves into hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and to a degree before they ever even really considered if it was the path for them. So I frankly think it's, it's great to be in that position. It's nice to have this convo with you because I always believe in having uncomfortable conversations and having the ones that are hard. Because if you don't speak them or think about them in deep reflection, your life might pass you by and you might be like, oh, like I didn't do these things. So I've, I've heard both sides very much like you. I've heard the people with utmost certainty of a big no. And then I've heard my friends that, that have the children already that are like, you know, you would make an incredible mom. Because if I wasn't writing books in health and wellness and food, I'd probably be a kindergarten teacher. I just find them to be fascinating. But I, but I also get that there's freedom and there's also that fear of not being a good provider. Um, my job is extremely like in flux with a roller coaster. You know, it's like, I'm never gonna really have stability until we hit that mark of say a series or like a machine behind you. Like I have friends that are lucky enough to have permanent gigs with Netflix or Hulu or Peloton and they're set, you know, I'm sure that, um, and I'm envious of the stability that some friends have that hit the mark. And while it's a trade-off, right? Like some of them have to show up at 30 Rock every day of the week and wake up at four in the morning. And for me, I've often thought, should I go out for one of these wholeheartedly? And sometimes I say no, sometimes I say yes. Depends on the day. Um, But I think the uncertainty at 41, and I hope this helps people because, you know, I almost had like the tears coming out I've had so many combos with my partner about it, which I think everyone should do. Number one, be prepared. 
you know, put that shit on ice if you need to. It makes you feel better. Save for it, which I've already Literally. done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Um, and and don't let people pressure you either way because yeah. you're gonna have people tell you ratchet advice like, "Oh, you're geriatric," you know, like, um, thanks. <laughs> I, you know, also what you said there. So with people telling you you'd be an incredible mother, I mean, as someone who would have wanted to be a kindergarten teacher, I'm sure that that's true. But I actually, I always dissuade people from saying that to people because, like, for example, I know I would be a terrible mother. Like, I, and that doesn't mean I'm a terrible person. Like, I think that a lot of people, and I'm lucky that my parents were not one of those people, but a lot of people had children and were not good parents. And if they had been in a situation where they could maybe have thought about it a little bit more proactively and weren't sort of being pushed down that rabbit hole from the time that they were born, they may have taken the same steps back. Like for me, I always say, the things that make me great at a lot of things and that make my life so enjoyable are the exact kind of things that would make me a bad parent. And I'm not at all saying that that's your case, but I'm saying that when people tell other people that you would be an incredible mother when unless you're specifically asking for that feedback yes. and you are you know wanting to hear that i think in some ways that can be an insidious thing to tell people because the implication then is almost that you sort of owe that to someone that you that's that that, is, that should be your destiny that that should be the thing that you're going for and also again for a lot of people that just happens to not really be true and we as a society need we need the village we need people we need aunties we need people who are doing who are fulfilling all different types of roles and when you're pigeonholing women constantly into one particular iteration of womanhood in my opinion i mean i i think we all know plenty of people who were raised by less than optimal mothers and less than optimal fathers and it bothers me that not enough people give themselves the space and the honesty to to step back and say, would that really be my calling? Um, and they conflate the idea of not being a good parent with not being a good person. Hmm. It's a heavy topic for so many women mm. around my age. And I'm not sure how old you I'm are. I'm 34. You have a great skincare routine. Oh, thank okay. you. <laughs> um, no, but I thank can't. you. I'm 34. <laughs> I'm sure you do. We can talk about that too. Yeah. Um, it's hard, man, to be – it's a weird place to be. The I see both sides of it, you know. I feel like I've seen my friends be extremely happy with children. Mm. And then I have people that have actually told me, don't do that. And so the extreme is such a it's, – it's such a huge extreme between the two sides. It's almost like a – I've almost like tried not to think about it, yeah. which is what I think most women in my situation are doing right now. I'm letting life live its course um, where I am really trying not to, you know, I did, I did a brunch with my friends on Saturday for my birthday. I never do that. Drank it all day in the middle of the day. And <laughs> I, I used to do it, but like, yeah. no, I don't do it anymore because you're hungover for like three days. And like, <laughs> we ate burritos all day. We reordered food from the same brunch spot on my actual birthday. That sounds so really hungover. fun. Yes. It was great, right? It was champagne and Ugh. just Mediterranean food. Yeah. Cafe Mogador. Love Cafe Easy. Mogador. Same. Falafels. Oh. till the end but 
those are things you're right where it's a lot harder like my friends have warned me too like you're gonna get have to get child care I work just for child care or things yes. that have been uttered to me and I agree I mean being an auntie is easier and it's more exciting and it makes it um feel like you still have your best friend's kids around um and I just I still can't answer the question when people ask me I know very crazy it's it's I don't a think weird it's crazy at be. all I but like I said in the beginning I don't think it's crazy at all I think it's yeah. I think that so few people, like I said, give themselves the space to even have this conversation with themselves and to think about it, especially when it's difficult. Yeah. There are things that I struggle with in terms of not knowing what I want that doesn't ha- it doesn't happen to be that choice. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a, a very overlooked part of what's magical about being human is the ability to to have those, you know, those conversations with yourself. Well, on the skincare tip, because that was going to be a topic of conversation. <laughs> so I actually don't, I mean, I... I, okay, so this is like my drum that I beat every time we talk about this on the channel. And I'm going to beat it again. So tune out if you don't want to hear my little speech. But I do believe that a lot of the whole skincare thing is, as someone who has like actual skin issues, is yes. complete BS. Go to a dermatologist, get an actual routine prescribed. Like for me, like I have done, I have had years of like the right routine with the right products that did not even half of what like two sessions with a laser did. Do you know? Like, especially when it comes to like scarring or like rosacea that I have, like all those issues, like just invest that money, divert it to, you know, kind of a professional is my opinion, whatever, take it, take it or leave it. I'm not a, I'm not an expert, but Skincare has become a really interesting place for the wellness industry yes. and for, um, as you put it earlier, like people who do not deserve the expert credentials to come in and start touting their <laughs> solutions, which often incidentally involve you buying things from them. Um, <clears throat> but it's become a space where that same sense of ritual and control and discipline has really been sort of put upon women. It's like, what? We now have to have a seventh step routine that we do twice a day like isn't life hard enough um and for the record i literally just have like i have i wash my face with a neutrogena cleanser i have one like little serum that i put on that my doctor gave me and then i just moisturize and i use spf every day like i good i don't do anything special and i at this point won't uh but i am interested both in terms of your approach to this but also as someone who who used to be a model balancing your relationship to your appearance with your need to find something that is sustainable and emotionally healthy. Okay. This is a great, great question. Good segue from the children topic. Uh, <laughs> my God. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I can put no, no, this no. out. No, no, Chelsea, it's good. I'm, I'm happy. Like you're one of the few people, like I said, that I, I love listening to because I feel you have a great perspective and a a good grasp on reality too Mm. yeah this isn't all like fluff and frankly half the time i think people just write to write um, or share their opinion without even thinking about the the long-term ramifications of their own career Um, and as somebody who you know i'm not a professional in skincare i'm not i don't have any credentials in skincare i do however go on the today show and talk product i am hired as a journalist and a writer and somebody who is hired to give their opinion i've been a columnist at several magazines and i also was a host at home shopping network so i already learned the ins and outs of sales tactics uh, edward bernays 
uh, he was a nephew of, uh, I believe it was uh, Freud. He created what once was propaganda into the word and term he used as PR. Mm-hmm. And this is like back in 1929. So I do a lot of research on the history of journalism and, and how we've gotten to where we are in consumerism. Yeah. So we often touted that people needed a lot of shit that they actually never needed in the first place. And I agree with that. Um, and where I'm going with this is the skincare routine. When I was in my 20s, I took birth control like every other girl did because it just seemed like I have no idea actually why anybody put us on it, but they put me on it for acne. Mm. And not only was it a bad idea, but when I went off of it, most women will go through and and nobody talks about this either, an acneic eruption. So I've often thought about writing a book or a series, et cetera, on this topic because I have the photos of when my skin was just, it wouldn't stop. I mean, for an entire year, it was acne upon acne. And I thought to myself, well, we're shooting in HD now. I was shooting a show called Homemade Simple for TLC. Um, And then they did like close-ups, so we caked on the makeup, which was horrible. I also developed rosacea over the years from the Polish side. Thanks, Dad. And that, you know, a professional, laser, etc. Like dermatologists, I completely agree with. I saw a derm named Dr. Schultz. He's not far from here, uh, off Park Ave, uptown. And he changed my life by helping me with glycolic peels, seeing me regularly and flexing my muscle for confidence. Because um, when you have acne, you feel like everyone on the train is staring at you. And I wanted to hide. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't because my job was to present in front of a camera, whether it was cooking or beauty, et cetera. Embarrassing also to be a public figure and have horrible acne. So what worked for me was seeing a professional, being honest with him about how it affected my confidence. He asked questions like, if you stay over at your boyfriend's house, are you wearing makeup to bed? A lot of us girls had no other choice because we were so embarrassed to even show a guy that we were dating that we had horrible, like, and I'm talking about, like, the cystic Cystic acne. acne. Yeah. Yeah. Been there. Oh, Chelsea, here, I still have the scars right here because everybody says that things work for scars. They don't. I mean, I haven't used it yet. But as I've gotten older, and this is a weird thing, my skin has actually gotten better, which is hope for everyone that's weird i thought it was weird i mean i'm 34 so yes you know we'll see but for me anyway it's gotten better (laughs) thus far um and it i i've had more money to invest in in dermatology which that's another key yes um but i think also just generally and part of it is because i used to have cystic acne too and i was on accutane oh it's worst months of my life I, Accutane is cra- it's such a crazy drug, but it did actually help, unfortunately. But I have had cystic acne. I have always felt such a horrible relationship to my skin, and I've I've mm. found I think that part of perhaps what is happening hormonally with skin improving with age is that at least for me, like I feel so much more just like calm and self assured yes. than I did, which I think just creates a sort of you know self fulfilling prophecy of having yes. better skin and having sort of a better um, an over all better relationship with your appearance which to get back to my 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 other question was you know 
I can only imagine that, you know, having been prized to that extent for your appearance for so long, being a television personality, being a model, doing all these things that what people are looking at or looking for from you on some level is the way you look, how, you know, you are sort of separating that from how you feel about yourself. Um, wow. This is, this is going back to the, the first year I ever moved to New York when I was like in my twenties still, I, I was 2010 and I remembered living on an apartment in C and 11th. It was a fifth floor walk up next to the last squat house left in the city. And I, was determined to make it here. I had one suitcase, like 200 bucks in the bank, and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Mm. And I had remembered looking in the mirror at how horrible my acne was. And I even talked to a friend about it who is still very close to me now. And she said, I, I remember, you know, the acne. You tried to escape going to an event in Chicago with me because of your acne. You tried to cancel your events because you didn't want people to see how horrible your skin was and I just I can't believe that she remembered that and I can't believe that I remembered to take pictures of it too because I thought well no one's going to believe me if this all goes away magically one day and my I learned from my older sister because we both genetically went through the acne thing and I do believe it is genetic and it can happen to anyone. Totally. And it is so, when it's on, you know, it can be on your back, it can be on your chest, it can be on your neck. It's embarrassing when people make fun of people with acne because it's not like we want this and and we're not dirty. Like that was one connotation that was so negative towards people that have acne or that we're eating pizza and chocolate. All not true. I mean, I eat pizza and chocolate, <laughs> but not to the extent that it should curse me with cystic acne. That's genetic. Just, I know plenty of people who eat worse than I do and have perfect skin. Exactly. I have friends that smoke cigarettes and they have great skin. It trips me out. I'm like, dude, what the f***? It's all genetics, right? It Half is the time all genetics. genetics. Um, but you know, my sister has beautiful skin now and she's 43, 44. You wouldn't be able to tell. She has a great aura to her, a good personality, a beautiful face. And I don't see anything from those years when we both wanted to cringe and hide in a hole because it, it just stayed for years mm-hmm. and years. Um, you know, and Sometimes I see young girls, like I saw one in a derm's office that had it years later after my problems with acne. And I wanted to say to her, like, this too shall pass. Like, it's not going to be there forever, which is the case for most people. But I, I agree with you on the routine thing and how we've become obsessive about it. So while the acne is cleared up, it doesn't mean that I still don't get pimples every now and then. And if it comes before a shoot, then you're like, I'm just going to have to deal with this and who cares because it's just a pimple and it'll go. But now the routine at night, I think where I think it has been kind of cool is it actually makes me feel really good Mm. to take all the makeup off at the end of the day because I'm often, you know, on set at today or, you know, say we're doing something for well and good or one of the places we write at, sometimes we do photo shoots for clients. And then if we take it all off at the end of the day and actually massage and breathe and think of it as a routine that makes you feel good for your confidence. That is where I think it is positive. I almost always use a good cleanser, exfoliator. 
I like using a water that will take all the makeup off. And then I like using a vitamin C serum every day. Yes, yeah. And just like you, SPF, I have to thank my friend Julie. Listen to your older friends. She said, Candace, SPF, 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 hands, neck, decolletage, face. It really worked. And it was this inexpensive way of preventing you know I used to be a surfer like sitting out in the middle of the water in the tropics and that's just like a bounce board so I really had a lot of um a lot to do after that on prevention so just kind of as a concluding topic like as I mentioned in the intro so often wellness is sold to us as a product quite literally And so often what we associate with wellness, we're often just talking about money. We're often just talking about people who have help, who have resources, Mm. who have free time, who can go on vacations, who can buy these nice products, who can look a certain way. How do you practice wellness in terms of financial discipline and in terms of not conflating something you can buy with something you're actually changing in yourself? Beautiful ending for us, I think when i learned to let go of tangible things relationships that i really wanted the men that screwed me over Mm. all the things when i learned to let go of attachment i learned that life does get better because Mm. i had this idea of things that i wanted expectations things i thought people owed me all not true And so when I did the inner work, because they say the first half of your life is very much about the body and the second half of life is very much about the spirit. So after one of my last breakups, uh, a partner like left me high and dry at my Wall Street apartment and went to another country and moved out, but also left all the shit in my apartment. And it it was horrible. Man, another L on the board for men. (laughs) Truly, it never ends. Well, you know, rest assured, like tables turn over time and you get over it. And I, I'm happy now, Chelsea, that it did end because I would have never let go. You know, I, yeah. I was one of those like, let me grasp onto this for the rest of my life type of people. But when I went to the monks uh, in the mountains of Koyasan, Shikoku and Beppu, which is a an island in southern Japan where my mother hails from, I learned so much about the Buddhism and the wisdom and the culture. I learned from reverends and monks rather than this whitewashed, elitist, skinny woman culture of like cocktails and skinny bullshit. Yeah. And I thought, wow, holy like where have I been? You know, we're talking about shojin ryori, which is devotional cuisine in Japanese. All parts are all vegan, not because they're hippies, but because that's how the monks cook in Japan in the mountains. We do deep breathing. We do chanting. We do prayers. We do not pray because life is perfect and fabulous and positivity like in the Western world. We pray because there are dark corners everywhere in life and we know they exist. And so when you change your mindset and you understand that you don't need a dozen beauty products health products, cleanse, diet, anything, all the bullshit that people are selling. And I did it for years too. I'm not sitting here like I didn't play a role 
in the wellness industry. I absolutely did. In fact, I wrote for Well and Good at its inception almost 10 years ago and free, mind you, for about 10 years. So my passion was the people and honoring truth. So I think if people can do a deeper dive in finding those of us who are truth tellers, who have no financial gain at all involved in seeking attention or fame or beauty or power, but rather like looking at somebody's body of work from the perspective perspective of what is this person trying to offer me in my life and how are they trying to benefit me? Like I have wonderful friends who are writers and journalists or even women that have their own beauty lines like Indy Lee or RMS, like Tata Harper. Like I've met many of these women. They all have a story. And even if they're selling beauty products, sometimes their story is really profound. Mm. And it's actually, it kind of makes sense why they're doing what they do. But I suggest for people to look at the root cause of their own suffering. That means going inward and not going outward. Looking at yourself first and what can you do to fix your life before judging everyone else. And finding that place of letting go to the attachment of what you thought your life needed to be like with a death grip and letting it be as is. Because, you know, the man came at 38, not at 28. The house, well, maybe one day. (laughs) The show, it's being written and hopefully it's somewhere. But one day, you know, and we don't have it that bad. I think practicing like gratitude for where you're at cooking really good meals for yourself and those you love, walking, being in nature, being with really good friends. Wellness is a lot more simple and easy than we make it out to be. And all this hype and bullshit, really, we can do without it. And I think people have to have the wisdom to know the difference. Well, listen, I'm no expert, but a little time eating vegan and praying with the monks in the mountains of Japan, a little time at a champagne brunch. To me, that is wellness in a nutshell. I think you need it all in this life. Um, I knew it was going to be such a joy speaking to you, but I really have very thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Chelsea. I'm getting teary. I know. I can't believe it. What what did we say that was so emotional? I don't know. I've been to therapy. I know. I agree. I had like one of the worst mornings too. And I just thought, I'm really happy I'm going to TFD today and seeing Chelsea. I know. Isn't that weird? Well, because I can't afford a therapist right now. So (laughs) you know what? Well, I'll take you out to dinner and we'll do this again. And, you know, that way we can uh, we can get even further on some of these topics. Thank you. And truly, thank you for what you and your team do. You provide a wealth of information And I truly believe it is helpful and women need this education and empowerment. So thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you guys all. Oh, wait, I almost forgot to ask. Where should people go to find out more about you? (laughs) How juicy. Okay, so I'm at Candice Kumai, C-A-N-D-I-C-E-K-U-M as in Mary, A-I. I have a podcast, Wabi Sabi, many books. The new one is called Spirited on Audible Originals. It's just like a spirit. It's just out in the Audible universe. Um, But Clean Green Eats, Clean Green Drinks, and Kintsugi Wellness are probably the top three books. And I will start writing the eighth back to cooking. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you guys all for tuning in. I will see you next week on an all new episode of The Financial Confessions. Goodbye.